0: Welcome to this podcast from Greater Boston on WGBH 2. Our podcasts are made possible through the generous contributions of WGBH viewers and listeners like
1: you. There are some topics that still seem to be off-limits in America, and class is one of them. But Princeton sociology professor Catherine Newman and journalist Victor Tan Chen are trying to get Americans to speak up by focusing on the millions in this country teetering on the edge of poverty. Their new book is The Missing Class, Portraits of the Near Poor in America. And Catherine Newman is here. Welcome. Thank you. So I first became aware of the near poor probably a couple years ago when I was at the Greater Boston Food Bank. Mm -hmm. And they told me that they weren't just delivering to the Pine Street Inn or to homeless shelters, but it was going into neighborhoods for the near poor. In in your research, who did you find out? I guess what I'm saying is I was so struck that there are people we know and see every day but not necessarily think are poor.
0: These are the people who live at one to two times the poverty level. So that's twenty dollars to $40,000 for a family of four. And they don't fall below the poverty line. So we don't count them. We don't track them. We don't see them. We don't even know they exist. But there are 53 million Americans who fall into this category. And that's a lot more than the poor, who are 37 million, and definitely in more desperate straits. So there's a reason why we focus attention on them. But this group is vulnerable to falling below that line. And at the limit, around $20,000 or so for a family of four, they can indeed experience periods of poverty and insecurity.
1: I don't even understand how $20,000 isn't poverty, especially in this northeast corridor where the cost of living is so high.
0: You know, we don't benchmark that poverty line by the cost of living. So that $20,000 in Boston is... The same line as if it were in New Orleans or anywhere else, um, and it, it is expensive to live here. So $20,000 will leave you in need of things like food stamps, but you won't qualify for them, health care, and you won't qualify for Medicaid anymore. Um, you will get the tail end of the earned income tax credit, which is helpful. But basically, people in the near poor category don't qualify for very many benefits. They're really on their own, and that leaves them very vulnerable to the ups and downs of the economy.
1: You profile nine families in your book. Is there a commonality in how they're able to get by?
0: Well, each one is a different different story, of course, but they are all attempting to work as many hours as possible. That's, I think, the most defining feature of the near poor. They're putting in hundreds of hours in terms of the labor force because they don't earn great wages. The way they make it above the poverty line is by working many hours and by having many workers in their household. So they frequently have children pressed into the labor force, teenagers, mm-hmm. young adults, um, more than one income, more than one job for each adult in the household too. So by combining jobs and working many hours they pull just above that line. And I don't want to paint them as a total portrait of despair. These are actually people who have seen a lot of upward mobility in their lives, because very often they started off much lower down and have pulled their way up, but not far enough to be secure. They experience a lot of debt. They tend to have a lot of credit card problems, like millions of other Americans, but for them, it's pretty desperate. Um, And they are without those benefits, without quality health care, they're quite vulnerable.
1: Well, even, of course, as we're well aware, the middle and upper class has considerable credit card death, debt. Hey, but you talk about that in your book, how the near poor are just aren't educated in the ways of credit and how to manage the system. Did, in the end, are they really getting buried by that, like so many regular middle class families? I think,
0: you know, most of us don't read the fine print of our credit card bills. Um, uh, and these folks generally don't understand that if you just pay the minimum balance, you are buying things the most expensive way possible. So they frequently find themselves up to their eyeballs in debt, and they're not protected anymore because the bankruptcy legislation that was passed in recent years in the Republican Congress has been pretty deleterious to this group. So they are often buried under debt in part because they really would like to live a slightly better life than the one they can afford. Because they work so many hours, they'd rather not sit on a couch that's shot full of holes They'd like to have something, some modest thing to show for all their work, but they're actually not very far from poverty and they really can't afford it. And credit cards step into the breach and it's not a healthy way to buy things.
1: Now, as you're just talking about, they're working all of these hours in these families. The children sort of become sacrificed and they're growing up because the parents aren't there. So is this just a perpetual cycle at this point? I mean, how can, first of all, how can they afford an education for these children? And secondly, what are the children learning from this?
0: I'm actually really more worried about the children than I am the adults. Many of the adults are actually in better shape than they have been before because they've found better jobs, they've moved up a little bit, they don't feel like their lives are going to be at one disaster zone after another. But that is at the cost of the time that they might have had with their kids when they were not in the labor for- force, um, and that's a problem. I am worried that the next generation will repeat the parents' experience of poverty rather than the experience of upward mobility. And that's because, generally speaking, they don't go to very good schools. And we have not poured the kind of money into early childhood uh, development and daycare that we would need to level the playing field between wealthy families and and near poor families. So they're hitting the school system without knowing their numbers and letters, without having the kind of support that more middle-class parents can give their kids when they need help in school and they are flandering. So at the teenage level, we see a lot of high dropout rates here. Uh, at the younger ages, third grade, we see the kids who are falling behind in those standardized tests that the No Child Left Behind Act bequeathed to all of us. So it is a problem. I think we may well see the next generation, unfortunately, repeat the poverty experience rather than repeat the mobility experience that their parents have
1: had. Well, I was just going to ask that point. How do they not get worn out and and just sort of allow themselves to fall into into that poverty level when they're working so hard?
0: Well, they really don't want to be poor. Uh, Most people don't and they particularly don't want to live the heavily administered life that you lead if you are poor. They don't want a welfare bureaucracy probing into their private lives. They would do anything to stay out of that, and they really respect workers. You know, They respect themselves for being in the labor force. They don't want anybody's handouts. They want to be independent. That's what most Americans want, and they're no different from the rest of us in that respect. But they are very vulnerable to falling exactly down into that category. So if you ask, are they worn out? Yeah, they're exhausted. But they keep going because they have a great deal on the line. They have everything on the line.
1: Well, you talk about that vulnerability in your book as well, how one incident, a divorce, or one catastrophic illness can send them into poverty. Talk about that, how they manage those situations.
0: Well, they don't manage them very well. Um, They are quite vulnerable because they have no safety net. They don't have a federal safety net in the form of benefits that we provide to the very poor. And they don't have a private safety net because they're not homeowners for the most part. So they don't have that equity that the rest of us could borrow against if we hit a a rough patch. They don't tend to have much in the way of savings accounts. They're often not in the banking system at all. They stuff the money in the mattress or give it to a relative to hold for them because their neighborhoods are not served by financial institutions. So for many reasons, including the fact that they don't earn enough to squirrel very much away, they tend to be quite vulnerable because there's no private safety net underneath them either. So they basically strategize by pulling more workers into the household. If you are a, an immigrant family or a native-born family uh, and you have teenagers who could get a job, you press them to get a job. And some of that money goes to relieve the cost of a teenage pursuits, you know, sneakers or whatever, but sometimes that money is just brought into the central household coffers and they hold on to it, much the way that families did in the Great Depression, where pooling resources inside a household was an important survival strategy, but it doesn't always work.
1: Well, your team's have put your team has put years of research into this, and we thank you for the awareness. The book is The Missing Class, and Catherine Newman, thanks for being here. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. We invite you to watch Greater Boston weeknights on WGBH2 at 7 p.m. and again at midnight. The program is also available through Comcast On Demand.